0: A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner, and I am so super freaking excited because we get to do an 80s episode, yeah! These are my absolute favorite ones to do, man. Uh, I've talked a lot about them. I've disclaimed a lot about them. And so if this is your first time, uh, I will disclaim less than I have in the past. But let me give you the the lowdown. Uh, Okay. I was born in 1974. So I turned six in 1980. Uh, So I grew up in the the 80s. And it was very special for me. And so for me, I kind of feel like, excuse me. I kind of feel like that as time goes on, <clears throat> different years don't seem to have the same taste and feel and color. Like, like, I know what the color of 87 is. I know what 88 sounds like. I know what 82 looks like. Does this make sense? So this is my way of... of of breaking it down. So we did a few 80s episodes uh, the last decade between 2010 and 2019. So now that it's a new decade, I've tried to do, like for example, in 2020, we did 1980, 40 years later. Now we're gonna do 1981. And uh, I am so excited about that because it was such a great chance for me to start at the very beginning. Like I said, we did a couple of other 80s episodes, but now we started at the very beginning. So I I encourage you to check out uh, episode, uh, excuse me, our 1980 episode series. Lots of great stuff. We had Barry Corbin and Flash Gordon and all this. And we're going to have a lot of special guests coming up uh, in this series as well. So come on, man, let's go ahead and let's get started here, okay? Because 1981 was a very, very, very big year. Uh, If you hear frequent uh, breaks or, or brief breaks like this one, it's because I'm taking a sip from this week's beer sponsor, which is Kingsville Canadian beer, and I'm trying out their India Pale Ale, number 127. And uh, hey, for all you Rush fans out there, I'm hoping to get some of that Rush beer It's only happened up in Canada. And I'll say this real fast too. Historically, I have not been a fan of Canadian beer. I can remember as a kid uh, being, uh, you know, you wanting to try the beer that you saw on TV or that you saw people that you were into drinking and the only people we saw actually drinking were the guys in metallica and they always seem to be drinking some weird fancy exotic beer you know for for you know for at least for that time in the 80s like i never i never seen a heineken bottle before uh but i remember one time i saw lars Ulrich uh drinking a i had a bottle of Moosehead, so suddenly we're like man i gotta get that Moosehead beer. beard it looks so Fancy and you're, you know, just uh, exotic and well traveled. Uh, and oh my God, it was terrible. <laughs> so thanks, Lars. Appreciate it, man. Uh, and we actually gonna be talking about, about Metallica because in 1981, it really seems like everything that I like still and now that's on the walls in this office that I still talk about, uh, it seems like it all freaking started in 1981. So let's get to it, man. January 17th, my all-time favorite band, The Walls, are covered in this office for the legendary, my dudes, my guys, Vince, Tommy, Mick, and Nikki, Collectively known as Motley fucking Crew, man uh bassist dickie six he left the band in london of course you guys have seen the dirt you know this story i'm gonna gonna walk you through it a little bit uh he began rehearsing with drummer tommy lee and vocalist guitarist greg leone uh lee had previously worked with leone in a band called sweet 19 and the trio practiced together for some time leon eventually decided not to continue with them and six and lee then began a search for new members and soon met guitarist robin moore um and Bob Deal better known as of course McMars. Mars after anchoring an advertisement that he placed in the recyclers it read Loud Grood and of course a guitar player uh, Mars auditioned for six uh, Moore and Lee and was supposedly hired uh, while Moore was fired at the same session and you guys remember seeing that in the dirt where he goes hey buddy uh, there's only really room for one guitar player in this band and it's me so why don't you get your shit and get out uh, my goodness gracious. Uh, and then, uh, April 1st, Vince Neal was hired, and the band played its first gig at the Starwood nightclub like three weeks later on April 24th. The mighty Motley Crew. That's how we are kicking this off, man. That's how we're doing this. We're kicking this whole thing off with the formation of Motley Crew. Now let me tell you, I, I like this to be a people's history. You, you know, if this is your first time, because anybody can just shout out a bunch of fucking Wikipedia facts and shit, or just collect a bunch of stuff, which I have done, and I've done my research. And these are my favorite episodes to do, but they are also some of the hardest to do because they take the longest to do. But God, it's just so rewarding, and I'm and, they're, they're, and I'm so motivated to do it. And it never ever actually feels like work. But I want you guys to understand that I want this to be like a people's history. I want you to know where I was and what I was doing. And I want to know where what you were doing and where you were. Uh, so, okay. So, 1981, in continuation of our 1980 episode, uh, we were still in Arkansas. We were in in, in Benton, Arkansas, at this uh, area in Benton called Summit Road. Uh, very, very poor uh, we actually lived in a trailer at the bottom of a hill, and uh, if you guys remember last year's episode, uh, my fr- I made my first friends there, uh, Bo and Paul Williams, and what is so cool is that after all this time, I connected, reconnected with Bo Williams, and he's on the 1980 episode. I was hoping to get him for, for, for this one, and maybe we still will, because this is probably going to be in several installments here. Uh, I wanted to tell you... Uh, actually, I, I'm not going to give away who some of the special guests are. You'll have to wait on that. But anyway, uh, so we were. So I, I can't say that I heard the album Too Fast for Love uh, that came out later that year. And, and I knew who Motley Crue was. That, that wouldn't happen for a couple more years. But because I was only seven, I turned seven in March. And me and my my friends, uh, you know, I know we were poor as church mice, but I have so many great memories um, of being down there. And I, I know that we were probably considered to be poor white trash. And I can remember we couldn't even get a fucking pizza delivered to us. But, you know, when you're that age and you're, you know, you don't know that you're poor. And we were good people and I had a strong mother. So what I remember is... You know, like you know, the, the the some music in the movies, and and I, I will get to some of the music that I that I definitely do remember, and and we also always have our annual playlist that uh, that goes along with these episodes. So, uh, for the first time ever, we did a '90s episode this year because it's been 30 years. So we did '91 earlier this year. I encourage you to check out and also check out the '91 uh, playlist, and I'll tell you more about our, the '81 playlist as we go on here. Uh, with this episode, okay. So, if that doesn't start things off pretty awesome, there with you know, with, with the formation of Molly Crew, uh, that same month, uh, Sheena Easton on January the 18th released, uh, her single, Take My Time, in that February, the second single course, was 9 to 5. Now, not the Dotley Parton song, but the My Baby Takes the Morning Train. Uh, and uh, You Could Have Been With Me, uh, released that September. Uh, nearly a year after uh, the suicide of Ian Curtis, the surviving members of Joy Division, plus Jillian Gilbert, now under the name New Order, released their debut single, Ceremony. And uh, yeah, I never really got into New Order, but I, I really, 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 I have always have enjoyed uh, Joy Division and uh, obviously so sad, you know, when I think about Ian Curtis and all that. Uh, the next day, uh, Iran releases the 52 Americans that had been held for 444 days, minutes after Ronald Reagan is sworn in as the 40th president of the United States ending the Iran hostage crisis. Even as a seven-year-old, almost seven years old, I remember this. It just seemed like it just dominated uh, the news. And uh, every two seconds, it seemed like it was just on. The very next day, on January 21st, the first DeLorean automobile, a stainless steel sports car with gold wing doors, rolls off the production line in Dermer in Northern Ireland. And of course, we wouldn't know what the hell a DeLorean was uh, until Marty McFly decided to, to, to fly one back to the future about four years later. But, uh, you know, as an 80s guy, as an 80s kid, it's like one of those things where it's like that is the epitome of excess. And like maybe at one time in a part of me, maybe even as an adult would like I've always wanted to have a DeLorean. Uh, but even I have kind of go, that's where I kind of draw the line. Like I, I enjoy seeing them when I do. Uh, I was at the um, the Peterson Museum uh, when James, speaking of Gann of Metallica, James Hetfield did his Reclaimed Rust uh, exhibit. Uh, there's a lot of the the movie vehicles in there and I got to see one of the DeLoreans they use in the movie, of course. Okay, let's see. Let's keep let's keep rocking here, man. Uh Okay, and then at the end of January, Frank Miller takes over full writing duties on Daredevil with issue number 168 and creates the character Electra. And if you're a big comic geek like me, you know that 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 was the beginning of a whole lot of fun right there. Okay, so the first 10 minutes, we've already uh, have gotten a, a lot of fun has happened here in the month of January. Uh, so hey, let's get on to February. All right, it's February 1981. Where were you in February 1981? Were you you born yet? Were you waiting to be born? Tell me about it, man. Like, I want to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter uh, and on Facebook and all the good platforms and stuff, and I want to hear about it from you. Uh, Lots of great music uh, continuing the trend there. Uh, Iron Maiden's Killers album comes out February the 2nd. And then a week later... Phil Collins releases his first solo album, Face Value, and of course, you know exactly what the air drum song of all time in the air tonight, which I still hear that fucking song every third song on on every radio station. And yes, if I'm in my car, and especially if I'm alone, you can bet I will be drumming along. Um... (coughs) It's just such a weird song. Even to this day, when I hear it, it's like it, it's hypnotic. It's strange. It's weird. and I love Phil Collins. I know he kind of gets a bit of a bad rap, and um, because he looks like a fucking cab driver. But <laughs> uh, but I wanted to mention that you know he's still hanging in there a little bit. I saw a little bit of. That reunion or that kind of his kind of comeback tour, he doesn't look that great. I don't know what it sounds like, but apparently him and Genesis are now doing a few dates. I can't, I, I can't picture him drumming. He doesn't look like he could even could hold a drumstick, but but good for him for trying. I don't know what it looks or sounds like, but uh, I'd be interested in knowing that. But but yeah, man, uh, what a weird song. You know, that's that song. Just it has no, it's peerless. It has no peer at all. It sounds like that. It is that in its own thing. That same day is now some music that when I think of 1981, when I think of living in Benton, Arkansas at the bottom of Summit Road, maybe first and foremost, I think of this artist and this song. And this is going to be our first song that I'm going to play for you in its entirety. Uh, Juice Newton released her album simply called Juice. It was her sixth album, but uh, her, her first breakthrough and kind of where she also kind of peaked, unfortunately. And let me be clear. Let me be clear about this right now without any sort of exaggeration. Sure, I have the emotional, nostalgic attachment to this album and to that song because of you know, who I was, where I was, how young I was, what we were going through, what was happening. And make no mistake about it, even though I was young and carefree, times were very, very stressful for us. Uh, and I remember the, the good and the bad, and I definitely remember this song getting me through all of it. On this album, That's kind of what I think about. My my parents were divorced by this time, and I would go uh, on my dad, you know, spend every other weekend with my dad. And my dad really liked country music, and this is definitely kind of a country song. Now you guys know some of the songs off of this. You know, uh, playing with the Queen of Hearts, which is probably her most known one, and uh, and uh, just call me angel of the morning, angel. Uh, but the the song that closes the album, uh, to show you how old this is, I'm, for you for young people, albums, records used to come in albums and there were sides to it. So anyway, uh, the song that ends Side 2, that ends the entire record, is a song called The Sweetest Thing I've Ever Known, which, without exaggeration, this might be my favorite song by anyone ever No song, not by Prince, not by Michael Jackson or or Van Halen or Motley or all the bands you guys know that I love, just gets me and just pulls me in and doesn't let go. For one note like this I'm immediately there And I'm all in And Juice is the only One of the only artists That I still have never seen She's only 69 years old I understand that she still tours I I live in the Fort Worth, Dallas Fort Worth area I keep thinking maybe she'll do Like a Billy Bob's gig Or something after all this COVID shit passes uh, Juice if you're out there And you're listening I also would love to have you As a guest on the show You're one of the people That I really wanted to talk to uh, as part of this series. You know what? I'm going to send you an email right now. We, we're going to do this in series, and uh, I just might have to have to put you, this song and you on part two or something because I need Juice Newton on this. Uh, this is from the album Juice. This is the sweetest thing I've ever known. We'll be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. <laughs>
2: See you in the morning with that old sleep still in your eyes. I remember all the laughter and the tears we shared last night, and as we lie here, just to share a
0: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media, our Twitter handle, at Tricky Kid 2, type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook, and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter-ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. Okay, so, all
1: right, whenever you're ready. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> again,
0: your host, Roy Turner.
1: Okay, again, that was Juice Newton with the sweetest thing I've ever known. And let me tell you something right now, I know I shouldn't have been there, and it's one of those things that you look back on and go, golly, like, why did why did my dad do that? Or why did why did that establishment allow this to happen? But here's the deal. Here's the yin and the yang of it. Here's the bad. My dad, I guess it was, you know, because it was his weekend and his visitation, uh, him still, let's see, 1981, he would have just... Uh, Golly, let's see, he would have been what like thirty-nine or something uh in March of that year. Anyway, he was still wanting to go to bars and probably hang out and shit. And so he would take me as a seven year old. Like, like, but not at, not really at night, like during the day. And I guess his rationalization was, oh well, you know, they've got, you know, pinball, and, and I, you know, to know me is to know how much I love pinball. And video games and he can do what I, you know, how do you entertain a kid? You know, you could look at it innocently, but like that, but it's also kind of a thing of two that it also speaks to addiction that he was going to go do whatever the hell he wanted to do, whether I liked it or not. But the good thing is, is that I've got great memories of that stuff. I look back on it and go, man, maybe I probably shouldn't have been there. Probably not. I'm not the best place for a seven-year-old, Right. Uh but man I remember playing that song on a jukebox at some watering hole in the wall in somewhere Arkansas uh while playing pinball and getting unlimited Coke and, and uh beef jerky and you know good good times man <laughs> good shit. So okay, moving on. Now February Switching gears here, what a what a month for some legendary stuff for the world of, of heavy rock and heavy rock and roll. On February 12th, it feels like some sort of like, like this is the equivalent of like the atomic bomb of music. Rush released the album Moving Pictures. Like there's a world before Tom Sawyer and Red Barchetta and Limelight, and then there's a world after. This is where the world we live in really begins. Can you believe that? Think about that like, moving pictures. It feels like that album has just been out since the beginning of time, right, you know? Uh, I would have loved to have, and again, I can't claim that I knew who Rush was at this point, again, that that came later, but... Uh, And then, uh, two weeks later, on February 26th, Judas Priest releases their point-of-entry album, which might have maybe one of, if not my favorite Priest song on it, which is called Heading Out to the Highway. I was looking forward to them touring uh, and coming, and I was sorry to hear about Richie Faulkner who they're a guitar player who kind of fell ill and had 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 some emergency heart surgery we want to send out our best wishes to Richie to get well soon and we're looking forward to seeing it getting back up there and and uh and start rocking again I can't wait to rock with the priest man we go still go every single year it's always a great great show Rob Halford is still at the top of his game the whole band is just kick-ass their last album Firepower maybe one of my favorites of theirs so anyway so uh richie faulkner get better we, we need the priests back in our lives and we hope to see them back on on tour sometime next year. we're gonna take, take a quick break and we'll be right back with my birth month with the month of march of 1981 i was born in 74 but you know what i mean get back come on back we're gonna do march this is the all things 1981. okay we're back and you're listening to all things 1981 we're now into the month of march and on March 5th of that year, I turned seven years old. Uh, and I can remember celebrating my birthday at the McDonald's back then, kind of like what you would do. Uh, and that's one thing I do truly, truly, truly miss. is I, I miss not thinking of McDonald's as this corporate thing that targets children to peddle their bad food that makes people unhealthy. I think of it as this magical land where the food was great and you were doing something right and you were a part of something in the commercials and uh, with, you know, at Christmas time and all year round, you just felt proud to be a part of it and near it. And I, I will always cherish that. As a matter of fact, they used to be these calendars, and we'll have pictures of all of this up on our website, of course, which is tricky-kid.com, tricky-kid.com with the dash between Tricky and Kid, and oh my God, I cherish those. We'll have pictures of them, because I had the ones from like 80 through 83, and pretty amazing. I think I mentioned this in the last episode we, uh, that we did for 1980, that my, my sister, Allie, uh, I I don't know, I just kind of casually had mentioned this because I had kind of forgotten about them. And I mentioned, um, and I showed her a picture of the one from 82. And that Christmas, she had like found it like, on eBay or something, like like, a, like an untouched copy and got it for me. And I sit there and cried right in front of her and my entire family on Christmas morning. Just, you know, I mean, how, what do you do with that, man? I mean, just to have that back in my hands and and it came from her and it was so inspired. I mean, for her to put that, I mean, I guess technically, I, I you know, you think, well, oh gosh, if you wanted it, bad, why didn't you just look it up on eBay? But I just, you don't think about things like that, especially, at least I don't. And I certainly didn't then. Uh, so it's something every time I see it in my office, I, I come across it. I, I sit down and look at it and get all teary. Uh, and then the, the very next day, speaking of teary, the very next day, uh on march the 6th after a 19-year run i remember this like plain as day i remember calling my mom into the living room because this is back when you couldn't pause tv and, and record it uh after a 19-year run walter cronkite resigned as the main anchor man for the cbs evening news and is succeeded the next monday by of course dan rather and dan rather might actually be my absolute favorite person to follow On social media and Twitter he is a deer he is a gem he is a charm a national treasure his is full of positivity not the toxic kind uh, and every it's informative and it's funny and it's fascinating and it's inspiring and he is just gold man it's a beautiful human being and it's just crazy to think that, that that run started you know, 40 years ago. I mean, think about how many things started in 1981. Uh, So many things in the world of rock and roll, too. Like I said, you know... um we mentioned, of course, you know about, you know, Iron Maiden's killers and then Rush moving pictures and there's so much more to come. But everybody knows that story about Ozzy Osbourne, who bit the head off of a dove at the CBS record label gathering in Los Angeles. That happened on March 27th, 1981. What was in the water that year, man? It's just crazy. Uh, and closing out that month, uh, we mentioned earlier about Ronald Reagan being sworn in. We had a new president that year. Only three months into his presidency, uh he was, uh, there was an assassination attempt. Uh, he was shot in the chest outside Washington DC Hotel by, of course, John Hinckley Jr., um, and who also he shot two police officers and press secretary James Brady. The greatest joke I've ever heard about this, and it's no joke, it's no laughing matter, but it's like he, everybody knows that he did this because he was obsessed with actress Jodie Foster. And he did this in a way to, to impress her, which I don't understand. Like, why couldn't he have just, you know, I don't know, bought a car or stole a car? I don't know. Like, um, but I can't claim that I came up with this joke, but it's pretty funny. It was like it was like one of those like probably one of those I love the '80s things. And, and then they go, then they have like this, the series of comedians that react to stuff. And when they got to this one, the guy goes, "Yeah, like, uh, what was he thinking? Like, hey, I just shot the president." Are you free next Thursday? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, what was he gonna do? Like, after he asked her out, like, like, hey, um, just want to let you know that, uh, yeah, I shot the president. Um, will you be my girlfriend? And of course, you know, I guess he didn't quite have the gaydar, uh, uh because, of course, you know, she many years later came out uh, as lesbian. And, uh, but here's what's funny is that I didn't actually didn't know this until he's actually in the news this week, actually, because I didn't realize that he was even still alive or he'd ever had been released from jail, but apparently he was, uh, a few years ago. And let me tie all this crazy shit together is every year I tend to turn my children on to new music, like meaning like. At the first year of their lives, Miles was really into metal. Then his second year, really into like, like electronic dance music. But right now, he is all about... Both of them are obsessed with Devo. So much so that, we, that my amazing, gorgeous, and talented wife made us all fucking killer-ass Devo outfits with the hats... And we just went as Devo for Halloween. And we have pictures of it on our social media and our website and everything else. You can check out. And I mentioned all that was because uh, on the song "I Desire," which actually came out in '82, which we'll be talking more, more about that next year. Uh, it includes some some poems that John he some words from 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 the, some of these poems that John Hinton had written to Jody Foster. Because they were just so impressed with like just how eloquent and dedicated and committed like it kind of a kind of a creepy kind of deal so much so they that they actually I guess the record label had to send publishing royalties to John Hinckley and I guess now that he's out of jail and he's like complaining that he's no longer getting his royalties which I can't imagine how much money that was because that song was not a hit and most people don't even know about it. And it's not and people don't know about record labels, so that has nothing to do with the actual band. I'm sure that that when Hinkley got word of this or whatever back in the day, he set it up himself to be able to receive publishing royalties and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, take it up with um, with uh, the label that, that that put that out. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting that that, that there's actually John Hinkley Jr. is actually in the news this week. Okay, getting into April now. Uh, April 12th, the Space Shuttle Program. Space Shuttle Columbia with NASA astronauts John Young and Robert Crippen launches on the STS-1 mission returning to Earth on April the 14th. It is the first time a manned reusable spacecraft has returned from orbit. That's pretty awesome. A week later, a minor league baseball game between the Rochester Red Wings and the Pawtucket Red Sox at McCoy Stadium in Pawtucket, Rhode Island becomes the longest professional baseball game in history at a whopping 8 hours and 25 minutes and and lasted for 33 innings. Uh, actually, 32 innings, but in the, 30, the 33rd inning is actually not played until June 23rd. And I think there were still like 17, it lasted until like five o'clock in the morning or something. And there were still like a couple of dozen people still that are watching. Could you imagine how delirious those players were? Uh, speaking of baseball, we want to give a shout out to the Atlanta Braves who just won the 2021 World Series uh, this past week. Uh, what, a, what a great, great victory that was over those rascals, the, the Astros. Uh, who forever will have that scarlet letter on him for all that cheating bullshit. But I will say this. I love Dusty Baker, and I was sad that he didn't make it. And I, and it was kind of a crazy thing with the whole thing with Atlanta winning because that was Dusty's old team, and a lot of people don't know this, but when Hank Aaron hit that big number 715 in April of 74 to break Babe Ruth's record, the guy on the on-deck circle, Dusty Baker. Okay. Uh, April 29th, we were talking about my favorite bands, holy cow. Right now, as I'm saying this into this microphone, I'm looking at a wall of my Van Halen memorabilia. And my favorite Van Halen record was released on April 29th. The Mighty Fair Warning, Sinner Swing, Unchained, One Foot Out the Door. It goes on and on and on. Uh, What a weird record, what an amazing record. Uh, I wanted to tell people that anybody who, of course, knows me knows that Van Halen... Uh, you know, I said at the beginning of the show that Motley's my favorite band, but it's really like this kind of weird tie between the two of them, and they they also fight for wall space here in this office. But uh, we're going to be doing a special called Diver Down, The Life and Legacy of Edward Van Halen. I encourage you. I always wait like a year after, like, like we did the thing with Neil Peart. I probably won't have the, the short film, you know, that I made for neil last year because i don't really quite have the the footage in a, <laughs> and quite frankly i don't have the time but i um but uh but eddie deserves it he's worth it so i'm just going to do something different that's going to be very special and i hope you guys will tune into that and that's coming real soon uh the same day on april 29th if you walk into a record store to be able to purchase fair warning you also would have gotten rick james's street songs Imagine that. Super freak. That came out in 81. Like what? Like what the hell, man? 81 kicked ass. I wanted to mention to you. Sasha Jenkins' documentary that came out this year. I was able to uh, to get an advanced copy of that. Whenever we were doing our Tri- Tribeca uh, f- um, coverage this year. And speaking of Tribeca, I hope you're checking out our YouTube channel. Uh, we, had, we did a great thing with the guys that did the, the movie All uh, All the Streets Are Silent about uh, the street culture in New York City that kind of birthed the Supreme brand and all kinds of neat shit. Larry Clark and kids and all that stuff. But one of the other great films we saw there was called Bitchin', The Sound and Fury of Rick James. Again, uh, directed by Sasha Jenkins. Check that out, man. It's really, really cool. Okay, but now let's let's bring it back. Uh, before we get into the month of May, let's bring it back. Let's remember, I was seven years old in '81, so I wasn't this sophisticated guy, you know, uh, that was probably listening uh, to <laughs> Rick James or, uh, you know, and and reading news the newspaper. Even I was a very smart kid and all that. Uh, so let's get let's talk about what it was like for you know the life of of, of a kid that was addicted to TV and. And, and, you know, whatever else was that was going on that, that was entertainment for children. Um, uh, some some very popular and not-so-popular uh, cartoons uh, started that year. Um, if you can believe it, the Smurfs began in 1981. I mean, think about all that, like, that, that began in 81. It's insane. And probably one of the weirdest ones was that they were starting to to make all the live-action stuff uh, all into cartoons. And for some reason, like, I remember, like, Happy Days had one with, like, the Fonz and the gang, but they were, like, in space or something. It was really strange. But I remember in 81 that the spinoff Laverne and Shirley, they had a cartoon called Laverne and Shirley in the Army. (laughs) For the life of me, I can't imagine how that got greenlit. And it lasted for two seasons, uh it was uh it was kind of loosely based on a a 1979 two-part episode called we're in the army now and i guess it was such a a, a high-rated um you know episode that people were like let's turn this let's have its own series and we'll do it animated but yeah i do remember watching laverne and shirley in the army and a cartoon that you you may not remember too well because it's I, I mean, I, I don't watch a whole lot of cable TV, but I know that there's that Cartoon Network and Boomerang, who sometimes brings back some older, beloved but more obscure cartoons. But man, I loved Goldie Gold and Action Jack. It's interesting because I we were very very poor, and I don't like have a thing about being about money or being rich or envy people that that are or were or whatever or. And as an adult, I don't care about money. I've never pursued wealth whatsoever. But it's interesting though, that when I think about my, looking back, is I loved Goldie Gold, and my all time fave was Richie Rich, which me and my kids watch, still watch now, but. So I do this thing here with the kids on Saturday mornings. We do what is called 1980s Saturday morning cartoons, because that was the whole thing back whenever in the 80s, right? And and you have to understand that TV was like an event. It was like campfire. You sat around and you enjoyed it and you didn't pause it or freeze it or tape it and you didn't have DVDs and you had to appreciate it when it was on. Okay. So what's pretty cool is we go to YouTube and you pretty much just type in like, like any year. And just type in like 1981 Saturday morning cartoons, like an entire like hours long block will come up as it aired then with the freaking commercials. It's amazing. Try it out. It's amazing. Uh, and that's actually how I found uh, uh, most of the episodes of Goldie Golden Action Jack because they're not available on DVD. Uh, the Laverne and Shirley and the Army's ones are, and I encourage you to maybe check that out and buy yourself something you know, a little something unnecessary for Christmas. But uh, but yeah, Goldie Golden Action Jack still not available, man. Uh, but I would love for it to because I do enjoy watching it on YouTube. But again, it's, it is kind of grainy and the sounds kind of strange and all that. But but I love to be you know to be able to do that. And a, a bunch of other fun things like Trivial Pursuit came out in eighty one. I mean, golly, is there anything that like when you think of the eighties is represented? And I don't know why. I don't know why that's such a eighties thing. Because I remember playing that, you know, forever, not just in the 80s. But uh, there actually was a role-playing game called uh, on H.P. Lovecraft uh, uh, called The Call of Cthulhu, which, of course, was later a song by Metallica, who are going to be coming up a lot in this episode. And, uh, man, let's see here. What other TV shows? Dynasty, Fall Guy, Simon & Simon, Falcon Crest, Hill Street Blues, of course, The Greatest American Hero, Entertainment Tonight, you can't do that on TV, and I actually asked my mom about these two shows when we were hanging out the other night, I took my mom to see The Stones on Tuesday, part of their No Filter Tour, check it out on our uh, social media stuff, man, we had a blast, and I told her I was doing this episode, and I said, hey, I said, listen, I said, do you remember these two shows, And, and one she did, and one she didn't, and I was disappointed that she didn't remember it, but there was this show... Uh, called Love Sydney. And it started in the fall, uh, in October. And it starred starred Tony Randall. And I can just, God, I'm going to cry right now just thinking about it, man. Because I don't know why it's one of those things that like, if you had asked me about Love Sydney last year, the year before last, or maybe every year for the last 20 years, I would have remembered it. It was doing this episode, I was like, oh my God. And one of the things that that me and my mom have done is like, hey, by doing this episodes, like we watched the episode of Alice and we couldn't believe how weird it was. And I think we did the same thing with what's happening. It was just like, this is, why does this seem so strange? I don't, because we loved Alice and we kind of related to it, you know, poor single mom working at a, you know, not so great job and all that. But I can remember Love Sydney as being this thing. You know, I'm gonna cry right now just talking about it, man. Like one of those things where you sit at the TV with your with your mom and you share this moment of this story, of these characters, and it just provides this soundtrack, this amazing thing between between you that, that will always be all. So I was a little disappointed that she didn't remember it. And but I also can't really blame her because I I hadn't thought about it. Uh, a little bit about Love Sydney. Uh, basically, it works like this, and and I and I think that like it was a thing where like Tony Randall was like a gay man, but they couldn't quite say he was gay, and he was kind of um, if I remember, he was he was there was a single mom, and 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 there was this kid involved, and there was like some sexual tension, but he was gay. I don't know, but it was like. Um, it says Love Sydney is an American sitcom television series which aired two seasons on NBC from October 28, 81 to June of 83. Again, starting Tony Randall as Sydney Shore, a single closeted gay man, and Susie Kurtz as Laurie Morgan, a single mother with whom he shares his home, and Kalina Kiff as Patric- Patricia Patty Morgan, that Laurie's young daughter. Um, and it was the first program to fe- on, on American television to feature a gay character as a central character, although his sexual orientation was very carefully, you know, played, was played down and all that, all that stuff. But um, it had a great little effect. I love this show. We played this show. We watched this show so much, and I've even looked to see if it's been released on DVD, and I guess it hasn't because there hasn't been much of a demand for it. But um, and then the other one, of course, it was "Give Me a Break," man. Golly, how much? We loved Give Me a Break. And Give Me a Break seemed to have lasted the entire span of the 80s. Um, it was on, it started in 81 as well, and it was on for six seasons. And which, you know, as a young person, I mean, like think about that. From October of, of 81 to May of 87, and it's just insane to me to think that in in May, in 87, we were still watching Give Me a Break, we moved so much and became, I mean, so many things happened, it's hard to, to imagine that the, the the family that we were in 81, that we became in 87, were still watching Give Me a Break, but I'm sure that we were, I decide that part, I don't remember, but uh, anyway, two great, great shows that just really have given us so much joy and so many memories, both started that year in 1981. Okay, so now we're going to get into the summer, and oh my God, what a summer it was. Where were you in the summer of 81? I want to know, man. Think about that. Summer of 81, 40 years ago, seems so innocent. I can remember that summer. It seemed to last forever, man. Me and Bo and Paul Williams riding our bikes up and down the hill at Summit Road and just... The music and the food and the toys and the, just the memories are so amazing. Uh, Bo, if you're listening, all my love to you, my friend. I miss you and I love you. And um, and I think about those times a lot and I'm so glad that we were able to reconnect recently. Uh, so check it out, man. So, okay. So at the beginning um, of, of summer... On June 4th, this is important if you're a wrestling fan, and I wanted to tell you that this is not our only program. We have expanded the Tricky Kid Radio podcast network where there's five different shows now. So this is the main show, Tricky Kid Radio. But we, but for you wrestling fans out there, don't forget about Tricky Kid. This is wrestling podcast. Available anywhere and everywhere that you get your podcast. We also have one on Prince called Prince the Encore once a month. We've got our monthly Uh, my alter ego DJ Tricky Kid called In The Mix, and we even now a Tricky Kid Radio After Party that kind of takes on a little more of an adult nature called Tricky Kid After Dark. I mention that is because on June the 4th, the very first world-class championship wrestling Star Wars shows began. Now, we weren't living here in Texas until eighty-seven but I can remember seeing them on TV and hearing about them and I can remember when we moved down here and 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 it was just such a special thing to be able to see. So the very, very first one was on June 4th, 1981 uh, at Reunion Arena. Now, I don't know we do a lot of wrestling stuff on here because we have our own show but I'm just including it in the 81 stuff. And the main event was br- the great Bruiser Brody versus the great Kabuki. Could you imagine? And what I wanted to mention is that there's actually a wrestling promotion uh, up in Oklahoma that I actually I worked with the owner is a guy named Jerry Bostick, and I did a, I did a few shows for them um, not too long ago when I said well what does it mean to do a few shows and I said, well I actually have done some wrestling commentary obviously I I like to talk and I talk for a living. And uh, so anyway, they rebranded as kind of this second coming of world-class championship wrestling. And they try to use as many of the old players that are still able and willing and alive to do it. And they've had Iceman King Parsons and, of course, ring announcer Mark Lawrence and all different types of players. Well, they're bringing back Christmas Star Wars. So the thing, that, So for the 40th anniversary... I, I wanted to, I, I'm so excited for this and it's happening just up the street from us and I'm totally going to be there. It's on Saturday, December the 11th at Southern Junction in Irving, Texas. Uh, once again, world-class, it's, it's a, it's a, it's world-class revolution presents Christmas Star Wars. And just based upon the poster alone, my goodness, McFoley's going to be there. looks like Kevin Sullivan, again, Mark Lawrence. I think that the uh, the Von Erich uh, sons, um, Marshall and Ross are going to be there. Uh, A wrestler that I have seen grow up in this area, who is now on AEW television, Fuego del Sol. Anyway, uh, tickets are still available. Definitely looking forward to that going down on December the 11th. The return of world class championship wrestling, Christmas Star Wars. I have no idea why it was called Christmas or called Star Wars and, and held at Christmas, but. You know Fritz von Erich, go for it. You know what I'm saying. But anyway, I'm I'm very excited to see the return of this. Now so, uh, the good and the bad. Now because not some some not so good stuff happened uh, in the summer of '81. Uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, he was in an, another assassination attempt other uh, than Ronald Reagan earlier that year. Uh, Pope John Paul was shot nearly killed by Mehmet Ali akka a Turkish gunman, as he enters St. Peter's Square in Vatican City to address a general audience and then what he did recover. And then on June fifth, the day after that first amazing world class Christmas Star Wars, um, actually it was I guess you can't call it okay, I'm sorry. Let let's start back up. I guess the show on June fourth was just those the Star Wars shows. And then they became the Star Wars shows. So let let's let's get that straight. Let's let's look at the body of work of that there. Um, let's see here, because yeah, so they were just the Star Wars shows, and then on Christmas night in '81 was the first Christmas Star Wars. So let let's be let's be clear about that. But the very first Star Wars show was in '81, and of course, you know, famously the one in '82 next year was the one where. Michael P.S. Hayes turns on the Von Erichs and creates one of the greatest feuds of all time. But we'll talk about that uh, next year on next year's episode. Anyway, uh, so yeah, but on June 5th, uh, unfortunately, the, Sen- the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States report that five homosexual men in Los Angeles have a rare form of pneumonia seen only in patients with weakened immune systems, which, of course, is the first recognized cases of AIDS. Uh, use of crack cocaine, a smokable form of the drug, first reported in the United States and the Caribbean. So, unfortunately, also, the AIDS epidemic and the crack epidemic also began. So, love him or hate him, and, and I I, I got to be honest, I'm not a Republican, and uh, I, I probably I don't know if I would have voted for him if I was a vo- voted, voted age, but I, I also don't think that Ronald Reagan was the worst president we've ever had. Uh, he was handed a lot of responsibility that first year, um, with again, with repairing what was happening, New York looked like a fucking uh, war zone, and now we've got this new disease that's mysteriously killing people and a, a drug epidemic. So, uh, but the war on drugs, which became the war on drugs, was a war on poor people, which is fucked up and wrong and awful and should have been ended a long time ago. Okay, uh, now back to the fun. A show that I miss so much is a show called Night Flight. It's a variety show featuring music documentaries and videos, and it premiered on the USA Network. And there's a piece of it that I've been looking for for easily 25 years. There was this episode on Van Halen, and I and I might actually play a little a little piece of this. Their opening part where it goes Night Flight takes off. And it was just one of those great things. Think think about this being a young person and being allowed to stay up late and stay up all night during the summertime. And this began in the summer. And I can't say I probably saw the first episode that summer, but maybe not long after. Um, It was a show that could only begin at one or two o'clock in the morning. There's no way you would watch this at noon on a Sunday or something. This was by yourself, late night, can't sleep, don't don't want to sleep, want to stay up late, you know, and just watch this kind of fun, mindless, middle of the night kind of thing. And that is right up my alley. It's 2.30 in the morning right now as I'm recording this for you. And I wish there was an episode of Night Flight right now that I could take off with. Also, that month, Kerrang magazine publishes its first issue with Angus Young of ACDC on the cover. Now, Kerrang was something that I didn't even hear about until like the late 80s when I, because, you know, because back then magazines. And ladies were kind of our lives. We would run to the local convenience store and we would get copies of Hit Parader and Circus and Faces and shout out to my man, Mark Weiss, the photographer for most of that shit. And I have a, a Motley Crue poster in this office that he gifted me. And he's actually going to be part of our King's X documentary that we'll be having out hopefully sometime next year for you guys to check out. But but Kerrang! always seemed to kind of have, and also the first one to feature King's X, by the way. Um, but always seem to kind of have uh, their finger on the pulse a little bit more. And I actually to this day have never actually seen a copy of Kerrang! Magazine or actually ever owned one. But uh, we would hear are the musicians that we like talk about Kerrang! And I guess because they were featuring more of the the underground bands, and this was the only press that they were getting. Um, but uh, but yeah, man. Uh, okay, back to sports for a second june 12th 1981 of course major league baseball strike begins in the united states uh which again the year before was my favorite year my first world series i ever saw of course with my beloved uh philadelphia phillies more on that strike as we continue uh but check this out man the e- the the emu emulator sampler keyboard with floppy disk operation is unveiled at the nam international sound and music expo um, and it, the very first one is issued, of course, to Stevie Wonder. Of course, this is, of course, known as the SB-12. And if you've seen any of that Wu-Tang show where RZA buys it, an old drum machine sampler, you probably have heard the Beastie Boys name check, the SP 12 this is, this is where it started. Uh, man, and golly, uh, hello, talk about movies. Check this out. So not only is Raiders of the Lost Ark started in 1981, two other movies that I personally remember going to the movie theater to see, and again to bring it back to like a people's history here, is I mentioned uh, several times so far my my old my first friends Bo and Paul Williams, and when I got together with Bo last year, I even asked him. I said, man. Do you remember when you and I went to go see Clash of the Titans in the theater? And now keep in mind, we were very poor. But even if you weren't poor, going to the movies back then, especially in 1981, was the biggest fucking deal ever. It was your birthday. It was Christmas. It was New Year's Eve and the 4th of July all rolled into one. And we saw this at the Royal Theater in downtown Benton. A place that has a, some another great significance. This is where my dad, after returning from the service, uh, saw my mom walking out of a theater, and uh, he knew her, of course, from high school, and uh, said, "Get in." And later they were married. And Bo and I had lunch next door there. If you're ever in Benton and downtown, uh, check out. Uh, there's a bar- my 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 nephew Wendell has a great barber shop down there, and. Uh, Uh, And it's the only one down there, but he's the man. So check that out for sure. Anyway, I remember it clearly because, A, I remember every time I went to the movies at that age because it was the biggest deal ever. But I remember this one specifically because it was the first time I'd ever seen a woman's naked breast. And I kind of lost my mind in the theater going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, and of course, Bo and his mom and everybody that we went with was making fun of me. uh, And it was a lot of fun. Um, okay, switching gears for a second, well, actually not switching gears, back to the to, to movies, but um. that I saw in the theater, that's, I mean, just think about that, those those summers that seemed to last forever when you lived at the arcade and you lived at the movie theater. Uh, on my dad's weekends, we would go to the movies a lot. Again, how do you entertain a seven-year-old? Well, this 39-year-old dude didn't really, he, you know, I guess he thought, well, shit, we'll go to the movies. And we went a lot, and I'm glad, except for when he did that, Pull that horror movie shit on me. Anyway. We saw History of the World, and it was called History of the World Part One, to suggest that there's going to eventually be a Part Two, right? And this is a total funny parody Mel Brooks thing. And my dad is somebody who is also kind of like, my dad's a a funny guy, he's like a naturally funny guy, but he's also somebody that's not above passing on jokes that he's heard as his own. And I remember, like him, the whole bit of like, like, or if there was a joke that made him feel smart, forgetting it and knowing it, he would let you know that. I can remember, that. And, and and this, there's probably no greater example of that than this film, because the whole thing about the Ten Commandments and and uh, and he drops one of the tablets and and. I, I can't quite do the joke. But anyway, my dad loved that joke so much that he told the joke as if he had written it or something. And of course, looking back on it, I'm sure I probably didn't get half the jokes and I probably was bored out of my mind and it was uh, seemed long and boring. So I, I, did, I, don't, I can't say I came back from going, oh my God, that was so great. But how fucked up is this? Just like how John Hinckley Jr. is back in the news. um, After 40 years, they just announced that Mel Brooks is making History of the World Part 2. And it's not going to be a movie, it's going to be a series for Hulu, which will get much much more of it. Uh Mel Brooks and company are back with an eight-part sequel series co- said you guessed it History of the World Part 2 and man it took long enough. Uh this past Monday, Hulu announced the comedy writing series will begin production this coming spring. While the writer's room convenes this month, Brooks, who is a spry 95 years young, will return as a writer and executive producer to the sequel series, along with familiar young comedic names like Big Mouth create, co-creator Nick Kroll, Wanda Sykes, uh, and Ike uh, Barnholtz, The Mini Project. But anyway, yes, can you believe it? Mel Brooks is still doing it, still kicking ass at ninety-five, and where next year we're going to get History of the World Part Two. Also, in uh, that first month of the summer on June fifteenth, look what else started. Freaking Duran Duran put out their first record, a self-titled record, and I know you know the song "Girls on Film" from that, and it's also part of our nineteen eighty-one. Uh, playlist which you should check out on Spotify. Just type in all things 1981 under Tricky Kid Radio, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick out a few songs here. Check this out. Of course, I told you at the beginning of, of the show my favorite album ever by anyone ever. Of course, Motley's Too Fast for Love uh, came out. Got a couple of tracks from that. I mentioned Van Halen's uh, should be Fair Warning record. Couple of tracks from that. Obviously, Rush's uh, Moving Pictures. We talked about that. Uh, And also, another record my my kids are obsessed with right now uh, is Billy Squire with The Stroke and Lonely as a Night, Foreigner with Urgent and Jukebox Hero. I mean, what? 1981 was just incredible. Of course, the debut, talk about things starting, of the Go-Go's, man. And congratulations to them for being finally inducted into the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Uh, to those gals, man, it's been a long time coming. I was so happy to see uh, that that finally happened. When I think of Songs of 81, I also think of like Kids in America from Kim Wilde, obviously Physical from Olivia Newton-John. I think, oh my God, I think of Leather and Lace, the duet with Stevie Nicks and uh, and Don Henley uh, from her Belladonna record. And of course, the other duet with uh, Tom Petty and Stop Dragging My Heart Around, Um I mentioned before. I, I I really think of country music. That's kind of what I was listening to. Is what my dad was listening to, uh, and I'm, I'll talk about this a little bit later. But uh, but a country boy can survive. From Hank Williams Jr. came out. I mentioned the sweetest thing from from Juice Newton, uh, Elvira from the Oak Ridge Boys. I mean, country music was a lot of fun that that year. Uh, I oh, excuse me. The of course, Prince's controversy came out that year. Jessie's Girl from Rick Springfield, Tainted Love. We mentioned girls on film. And also Duran Duran has a new album out uh, called Ceremony that just came out. And it's really great, man. I'm actually very, very excited about it. I mentioned In the Air Tonight from Phil Collins earlier. I mentioned Seeing the Stones on Tuesday. And they played uh, 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 the, the lead single from their 81 album, Tattoo You, of course, Start Me Up. And, of course, Waiting on a Friend came out that year. Uh, So much great stuff came out uh, in 1981. And especially, like I said, we spent a lot of time at the movies. And I will never, ever forget going to see Superman 2. I think I probably also saw Superman 1. In fact, I know I did. Uh... With my Again, with my dad, uh, probably the year before, two years before, maybe like in 79. But I specifically remember going to see Superman 2 uh, in 1981. Uh, and it's so funny how I'm almost only seven years old. And the movie kind of scared me. I can remember being terrified. I can remember, I think this is the one, if I remember, where he loses his powers and he goes to that bar and he gets his ass kicked by that tough guy, redneck guy. And at the end of the movie, he goes back and kicks his ass and all that. I remember those fight scenes, like, scared me. Like, I was, like, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe it was just, like, I'd hung out with, in bars with my dad and or something. Um, but then, uh, of course, the great cannonball run, the greatest. I mean, movies back then were just so fun with the, all the cameo fest and all that. Uh, I mentioned again earlier, uh, For Your Eyes Only with Sheena Easton. I remember The Great Muppet Caper. I didn't see this at the theater, but I definitely saw it later. Um, and I remember being over at my aunt Edith's house, and she had cable, and it seemed like that every third movie uh, when I would go or every time I'd go over there, the the Bill Murray vehicle Stripes, and him doing that whole like, um, um, what what was the song he would sing in Stripes? It wasn't the I don't know what I've been told. No, 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 it was the uh, golly, what was it the Oh, I know what it was. It was Manfred Mann's Do Wa Diddy. And think about the talent that's in that lineup with John Candy and Judge Reinhold and Harold Ramis and and all those guys. I'm gonna play that for you right now. This is a scene from Stripes. I remember this one, I think of 81. I think of The Cable Guide and Bill Murray. A lot of army movies back there. I remember Private Benjamin at some point too, maybe. Uh, but them doing that do whiddy uh thing as in the military is kind of one of those marching songs. There she was
2: just but she looked fine and I nearly lost my mind. Boom. Why? Right. Boom. Let's, you, let's do boom. a little singing this morning. Boom. Flat play. Fair play. Play, play. Feel great. Feel great. One women. Wine women. Hold on. Hold on. Two. Boom. boom. Shacka-lacka-lacka-lacka-boom. Boom. Shack-a-lack-a-lack-a. Shack-a-lack-a-lack-a. Boom. Shack-a-lack-a-lack-a. boom
1: And then something that was very, very 70s ended in 81. It was the series finale of Charlie's Angels. Uh, that was airing on ABC. They, they had their final episode. And the very next day, something else that started in 81, just in time for summer, was the very first game of paintball was played in Henniker, New Hampshire. Well, that wraps us up for this week. For all things 1981, stick around for next week for part two as we dive into the summertime, that magical summer of 1981. Really have enjoyed doing these so much. Hope you enjoyed the music. Stick around, man. We got a lot more to do. Next week, All Things 1981, Part 2, The Summertime. We'll see you then.
0: This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller. Theme music by the Buckcats. Original score by Jocelyn Hunt. Artwork by Antora Sandy. Marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.